Well, if you have your Bible, you can start making your way over to the letter of 1 Peter. We're continuing our Bible study through the letter of 1 Peter today. We'll be in chapter 3 today, 1 Peter chapter 3. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, What you do speaks so loud that I cannot hear what you say. Think about that. What you do speaks so loud that I cannot hear what you say. Last week, there were two concepts that were prominently featured in the passages that we studied in the letter of 1 Peter. They were submission and respect. Submission and respect. In 1 Peter 2, verses 13 through 17, Peter, he gave us instructions on how Christians are to behave as citizens in a society. And we are to be submissive to the authorities, he told us, and we are to show proper respect to everyone. Then in 1 Peter chapter 2, 18-25, Peter, he gave instructions on how slaves of the first century who were Christians were to behave. And we applied those principles to us as employees and in other positions where there's an authority over us. But we are to be submissive to those over us and to show proper respect. Now, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1-7, through 7, which is a continuation of this same general theme and passage by Peter, he addresses how Christian wives and husbands are to behave. And he says the same thing to Christian wives and husbands as he has said to us in these other life situations, that we are to be submissive and show proper respect. Let me repeat that again in a little different way to make sure that we're getting on to what Peter's telling us here. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, a new major section of his letter begins, which lays out for us how Christians are to behave so that we live a Christ-honoring life. And you may remember that the answer to the question about how to silence critics of Christianity who give us the label of being hypocrites, the way to silence that, to avoid that label, is to live a credible Christian life, to actually live it out. The basic idea for the whole section is summarized in verse 12 of chapter 2, where Peter writes, he says, Live such good lives among unbelievers, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Peter, he then gives uh, particular instructions about how we do this in various life situations and settings. And an interesting thing to Note is that he says basically the same thing to everyone in every life situation. To honor Christ as a citizen, we are to be submissive and respectful. To honor Christ as an employee, we are to be submissive and respectful. And now to honor Christ as a wife or a husband, we are to be submissive and respectful. So 1 Peter chapter 3 Verse 1 is where we begin today. And in verses 1 through 6, Peter, he gives instructions to wives about how to live a Christ-honoring life. Now, before we get into the passage itself of what Peter has written here, I want to address a popular misunderstanding about the Bible, Christianity, and women. That misunderstanding and mistaken belief is this, is that the role of women in society that is addressed in the New Testament 
is an idea that was introduced by the writers of the New Testament. That's not correct. In actuality, the general role of women in society that we find in the New Testament here, which was first century Greco-Roman world, is what was already in existence among the people of that day. Peter and Paul introduced Christian principles into the common structure of the society that was already there. It's the same idea that we had in the previous passage regarding slaves of the first century. We looked at that last week. Slavery was not something that was invented, advocated, encouraged by the New Testament writers. Slavery was an accepted part of first century culture. They estimate that over half of the people were slaves in the culture at that time. Over half the people. What Peter and Paul did was introduce Christian principles into that existing culture. They showed a revolutionary new kind of respect to people who were slaves. They took time in their letters to address the unique issues that slaves faced in living a Christ-honoring life, which in effect raised their social status within the church, making them equal with everyone else. I mentioned this misunderstanding about women for a couple of reasons. First, it's important for us to understand that the Bible did not take anything away from women. Christianity did not remove power, position, or rights that women possessed. Christianity did not suppress women or place them in a second-class role in society. That's not what Christianity did. They were already there. The harsh truth about the culture of that time is that women were second-class citizens. They were treated essentially as the property of either their father or their husband. That's not something that Christianity introduced into the culture of that day. The teachings of Christianity accomplished quite the opposite for women in that day. Christianity elevated women to a place of equality with men that they did not enjoy in the common society. Women were given a new dignity as human beings that they did not have previously. Scriptures, like Galatians 3.28, turned the status quo on its head of that time. Where Galatians 3.28, it says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. It's important for people to know that the idea of equality among people, regardless of sex, race, origin, ethnicity, economic status, and whatever, came from the pages of the New Testament. It was Christianity that raised the dignity of all people. It's unfortunate that these ideas, which were so radical at the time, were lost, forgotten, suppressed, twisted at various times in church history to benefit some people and disadvantage others. The second reason for mentioning this misconception about the teachings of Christianity uh, in regards to women is to make the point that there exists a considerable amount of cultural flexibility in the New Testament teachings on women, the marriage relationship, and the family. There are many areas where the Bible allows for flexibility within the marriage, 
and family structure, taking into account differences in culture, personality, family histories, life situations, and so forth. See, there are some who teach and have taught, and they present a certain idealized Christian marriage and family model that they say we should aspire to. Now, if you want to adopt those models for your relationship and family, you're free to do so. I want you to know, though, that what the Bible actually teaches allows for a whole lot more latitude than what those models suggest. Things like women having children or not, working outside the home or not, who does what household chores, who pays the bills and balances the checkbook, if you have a common bank account or separate ones, eating dinner at a certain time and way, prayer and devotions in the family, relationships with in-laws, intimacy in the bedroom, and so on. Uh, I'm sure many, if not all of you, are familiar with some of these models and some of these idealized teachings that um, are put forth. And I want you to know that the Bible does not lay things out in all that kind of detail. Those models don't work well for every marriage and every family. I encourage you to work together with your own spouse to find what works best for your marriage and your family, while always, obviously, remaining true to the Bible's teachings. So let's begin. Verse 1 says, Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. There are two things that Peter lays out for us here in these verses. First is the structure of the Christian family, and second is the impact the Christian wife can have on her husband by living a Christ-honoring life. So first, the structure of the Christian family. It says, wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands. As I mentioned in my introductory remarks a moment ago, submission and respect are the two big ideas repeated throughout this larger section of the letter, beginning in 1 Peter 2.13 and then onward. Peter is presenting here the same principles for the Christian family to follow that he has already given for Christians in other life situations, the principles of submission and respect. Wives, he says, are to recognize and respect their husband as the leader in the family structure. Is the husband the leader because he's smarter? Not necessarily so. In some cases he might be, in other cases he certainly isn't. There needs to be order and structure in every organization. This is the order, the structure that the Lord has established for the family. God holds the husband responsible and accountable as the leader of the family. The wife is to cooperate with that leadership role. The husband is the captain of the ship. If the ship gets run aground or is caught on the reef, it's going to be his head rather than the wife's. In a corporate environment. If the company goes bankrupt, it's the CEO, the chief executive officer, who is held responsible, regardless of who the CEO may have delegated responsibilities to for a certain thing. The husband is the CEO of the family. He's the guy who's going to get fired, creatively speaking. Second, the impact 
a Christian wife can have on her husband by living a Christ-honoring life. He says, if any of them, husbands, do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives, or as the ESV and other English translations say, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. The original Greek words that the NIV translates as husbands who do not believe can also be translated as husbands who do not obey the word. The teachings here are applicable for husbands who are unbelievers as well as husbands who may be considered believers but are living disobedient lives to the word of God. Peter is applying the same teaching he gave in 1 Peter 2.12 here on how to silence the critics of our Christian faith, this time in the life situation of a married woman. 1 Peter 2.12, remember he said, live such good lives among unbelievers that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. See, this is the same idea, isn't it? Wives, you can't verbally browbeat or guilt trip your husband into the kingdom of God. It doesn't work. It doesn't work with anybody. The Holy Spirit is the one who captures a person's heart and draws them into a relationship with the Lord. The Holy Spirit is the one who changes human lives. The most important thing the believing wife and all believers can do to participate in the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the people that we love is to live a Christ-honoring life ourselves and pray for those people. Being a living, breathing example of the life-changing power of Jesus Christ is the most powerful statement we can ever make about the reality of the Christian faith. Do you remember the quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson that I shared earlier? What you do speaks so loud that I cannot hear what you say. Speak so loud by what you do, how you live. Verse 3 of this passage continues. It says, your beauty, still speaking to the wives here, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Peter's not saying that it's wrong for a woman to adorn herself with makeup, clothing, jewelry, and such. Rather, Peter is saying that our preoccupation, our emphasis, our focus, our priorities should be in a different place other than our external appearance. Our energies, instead, should be focused on our character. Paul teaches the same thing when he is addressing Timothy in his letter to him, and by implication, addressing all of us. In 1 Peter 4.8, he says, For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Our priority and focus should be on the development of godliness and character 
in ourselves, rather than the preservation of what gravity and the sun's radiation is relentlessly taking away from us. I'm reminded of the story in 1 Samuel 16 when David was chosen to be the next king rather than one of his older brothers, who were all big, handsome, kingly-looking guys. The Lord told the prophet Samuel, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You might recall when we were studying 1 Peter 1.13 through 16, I shared a quote with you from Blaise Pascal, who said, The serene beauty of a holy life is the most powerful influence in the world next to the power of God. Peter's making a similar point here in this passage. The beauty of a holy life is a very powerful influence. In this case, the beauty of the holy life of a wife is a very powerful influence on her husband. And the same can be said in the other direction, that the beauty of the holy life of a husband is a very powerful influence on his wife. Verse 5, For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do not, you are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Says the holy women of the past who put their hope in God. See, they put their hope in the Lord, not in their selves, not in their husbands, not in their life circumstances. And this is the key to finding real peace and security in this life, is putting our hope in the Lord. Hebrews 6.19 tells us that our hope in the Lord is an anchor for our soul. Don't anchor your life in your spouse, in your family. Anchor it in the Lord. People can and they do fail us. People aren't perfect. They're weak and they're vulnerable just like we are. They'll let us down and break our heart. We'll let them down and we'll break their heart. The Lord is the only one who can always be trusted and relied upon. He says, you are her daughters if you do not that. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. I goofed that up twice, didn't I? Submission can be scary, especially when the one we're being asked to submit to is a flawed, sinful, selfish human being a lot like ourself. Wives, don't give way to fear, he says. Trust in the Lord. Put your hope in Him. He is always watching over you. Trust the Lord to do in your husband's life what you cannot do. In 
Then in verse 7, Peter addresses husbands. He says, husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. The first thing I want us to notice is that he again gives the same basic instructions that he has given to Christians in all of these other life situations. The two overriding principles involved are, again, submission and respect. Let's talk submission first. Now, although not explicitly stated in this verse, husbands are to submit to the authority and leadership of Jesus Christ. This is of primary importance. And he says, be considerate as you live with your wives or live in an understanding way with your wives, as it's translated in some of the other English Bibles. The Greek words translated be considerate literally mean according to knowledge. According to knowledge. We, we want to use our heads in how we interact with our wife. Consider her. Seek to understand her. Use God's wisdom in, in taking into consideration the person that she is and what her needs are. I think the best commentary on this whole idea is found in Ephesians 5.25, where the way Jesus loves and cares for and gives his very life for the church is the example given to us of how a husband is to love and care for his wife. Remember that? Ephesians 5.25. Paul writes, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. A good leader looks to the needs of his people before his own. The captain makes sure that everyone else is safely aboard the lifeboats before he considers abandoning ship. Husbands and fathers, we are to be the warriors out in front, taking the bullets for our people. Jesus took the bullet for us. We're to do the same for our wives and children. God has made us for that role, men. He gave us strong shoulders and a courageous heart and a fighting spirit. Use them for the sake of your people. You were made to do that. Give your strength to your family in the same way that Jesus gave his strength to you. Men, submit yourself to the yoke that God has created for you. You will find your deepest pleasure in life when you are fulfilling the purpose for which God made you. Let's talk about respect. 
Peter writes here, he says, treat them, your wives, with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. The word translated respect means to honor, to esteem, to make a proper estimate of the value of a thing. When Peter refers to the woman as the weaker partner or the weaker vessel, he doesn't mean that the woman is weak as in inferior to the man. He's referring first to the obvious physical differences between men and women. Men are generally stronger physically. There are exceptions, but generally. So we men are being told to not be clunking our wife around like we would another guy in the way that we interact and carry out our relationships with them. They're not a guy. They're a woman. Treat them like a woman. Men just clunk around with each other, but we don't want to treat our wife like that. He's also referring to the subordinate role that our wife has put herself in for us. He's telling us to not abuse our power and authority or we will have God to answer for it. When I think of husbands and wives in regards to the stronger and the weaker vessel, I think of everyday dishes versus fine china. The everyday dishes are utilitarian. They're built sturdy so that, you know, they can get knocked around a bit and not damaged. The everyday dishes, are, they're not much to look at. But they can be counted on for getting the job done. The fine china it needs to be treated with special care. It's delicate and it's beautiful. Both kinds of dishes are equally useful. There's no question of one being superior or inferior over the other one. They're simply different kinds of dishes created for different kinds of uses. Peter's telling us, men, that we need to recognize that our wife is different, to respect that difference, to appreciate that difference, to take that difference into thoughtful account in our relationship with her. Paul, he gives us similar instructions in his letters. For example, Colossians 3.19, he says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Treat them with proper respect as the unique person that they are. He says, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. He ends with that, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Well, what is that? It's a serious warning to husbands. That's what it is. It's saying, husbands, that if we abuse and neglect our role and responsibilities in the marriage relationship, we're going to have God to answer to for it. God will discipline us. He will stand opposed to us. If we want God's blessing on our life, then we need to treat our wife with respect as heirs with us of the gracious gift of life. Men, we've been given a high call. We're to be the leaders in our homes, not just in temporal matters, but also in spiritual matters. And there are a few of us who feel very successful at it. I know I don't. 
I don't feel like I have been a very good husband or father over the years. I think I'm a little bit better today than I was in the first years of our marriage, but I have a long way to go. You could pray for Sharon. <laughs> She's got quite a burden to bear. But we need to remember this, that the most important example that we can live out for our wife and our children is to be humble and submitted to our Heavenly Father, loving and worshiping and serving Him with our life. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for these words that you speak to us as wives, as husbands, and really as your people in general, because all of these principles have relevance and application and importance for all of us, no matter what situation in life we find ourselves in the moment. We pray, Lord, that we would be people who follow you, who imitate Jesus with our life, who live submissive, respectful lives in this world, Lord. We take on the responsibilities that you have given us. We do these things with joy and a sense of worship toward you. We thank you that we are your children. We thank you that you have rescued us and given us a new life. We ask that you would cause that new life to grow and to flourish in each of us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.